3: Live, good evening and welcome to nation talk tonight we are playing an encore presentation of the interview that I' done with
4: Johannes, uh,
5: who a week
3: ago passed away I had the privilege of meeting him student at Savannah State. And I also had the pleasure of interviewing him on October of twenty eleven. Night simply our co presentation in memory of one my favorite writers, local writers. My former professor enjoyed the program. Views and opinions of nation, views and opinions of
4: nation talk are not necessarily views of talk Jam generated productions. com
3: and its sponsors. Hi, right, Jack One Two, One Two, One
6: Two, One Two. This is Jam Radio Network
4: This is your Sunday Evening Forum. Nation Talk. Nation Talk is a public affairs program that deals with issues concerning youth. From the studios, us of Banna Conversation, call now. 1 724 444 7444. Call ID number 555 Pound. one of my professors as a matter of fact um, from Savannah State College well Savannah State University. It was Savannah State College then it's not Savannah State University. He's a social he is a social critic, writer, playwright, he was a former pastor and he's here tonight. And by all means, ask everyone to, if you have questions to ask our guests, be sure to do that at 174 444 7444. Caller ID number
1: 555
4: Good evening, Dr. Johannes. Good evening, Minister Jenkins. How are you? How are you, sir? I'm fine. It's been a long time um, since I've since I've seen you. It's, I haven't seen you since you've been a uh, professor of the Latin of state. Well, I'm retired now, and I'm doing what I thoroughly enjoy doing. Yeah, writing. Writing, which which uh, which is something I I know you do a a great bit of especially now. um fact, you have a new book that's coming out as as out now, I believe. Well, the there was a delay. It should be out next week. That's the um, the novel based in Savannah called Big Man. Uh, but actually, I have three books. Uh, the novel Big Man should be out next week. And two weeks from that, there's an anthology of poetry with all of the poets that I have known from Langston Hughes to Gil Scott Heron. And then in January, I should have a new novel coming out of science fiction, also based in Savannah. It's a science fiction super thriller suspense novel.
3: Wow. Well, we can talk about
4: anything you want to. I am open. I haven't talked on on local radio for some time here in Savannah, so yeah, this should be it, fun. Yeah, because this is, of course, this is a little different from this is what you call, um, I, I think you could call it um. i will trying to think what kind. Of, I'll think of it in a minute, but this might be e-radio. This is internet, online, right. live. Right, right. that's another that's another word um, another word for it, and, I, and it just slipped my just flip my mind a moment ago. But this is This is totally different from regular radio. And, and and of course, thank you for tuning in. And um, what is it, what's actually? And you 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 you're a social critic, psychologist, writer, um, playwright, um, former professor, as long as I can remember. An educator What is actually a social critic? Well, I've written about a number of issues um, From um, educational reform, educational policy, to government Whatever issue seems to be one that is in the public domain And one that I'm also interested in uh, I might find time to write about it And I wrote frequently for a number of magazines, so they would suggest issues uh, that I might uh, do some analysis of. Of course, you know I was professor of behavioral analysis at Savannah State and I have a That's PhD right. in behavioral neuroscience. So analysis is my was my livelihood for most of my professional career, but writing has been an avocation. Um, I right now am a contributing editor for two online international media sources, so they often ask me to write about everything from the uprising in Egypt to uh, a critical analysis of American political life, whatever they think that uh, would interest me and if it interests me, then I may may write about it
6: wow
4: in in, in your opinion as a social critic. What do you think of the, the attitude towards Americans who loudly criticize the president on the things he is trying to change, even in even in, in, in a divided Congress? Well, I think a president should never be above criticism. That is the American way. But I do not think people should block uh, legislation the development of legislation that, uh, in fact, will improve American life. And I think we need to be aware of the fact that the president does not make legislation. He simply leads the executive branch. So so many people who are disillusioned with government ought not necessarily blame the president. They need to recall some of the congressmen. As I consider Congress in, in, in its full sense now, We tend to send pretty people to Congress, people who look good and people who are articulate. But we've learned that Congress is not a fashion show. It should have some of the best minds, and it should have people that are capable of having compassion for the country and the issues and standing on principle. Too often we find people in Congress who pose and posture uh, simply for the cameras and for their constituents who have the dollars, not necessarily representing all of the people.
5: I'm really
4: appalled at the level of incompetence in Congress. Uh, some people can't even do analysis of the situation when this data is presented to them. How, how you, We how? need to be much more careful about the people we elect. I think there was a saying once that said people get the government they deserve. Well, we deserve exactly what we have for not paying attention to the issues and for electing people simply because we liked them or we knew their mama or we knew their daddy or they had a store in our neighborhood. And so we have been the recipients of the kind of people we have elected to Congress. Uh, Okay, as a social critic, as, as an analyst, I mean, as not, not a social critic, but as an analyst, how would you analyze Congress? Well, I think I just did. Congress is full of folks who have money, have bought their way, or they come from families that have money and have been <clears throat> in some ways promoted to public office. Uh, they're not necessarily the brightest nor the best. And we have to reconsider how we elect people. We can't elect people on popularity contests anymore because they have the greatest number of of ads on TV or in the local paper or the way they have played their their local politics to, to, to move themselves up. I believe there are a lot of people in Congress who are incompetent. There are a number of people in Congress who are really out only for themselves and there are a large number of people in Congress who have some real moral turpitude issues. We see this all the time. They're yes. forever being caught with their pants down somewhere or their hand in a jar that it shouldn't be in and dealing underhandedly with um, with uh, uh, lobbyists. It's a constant in Congress. and We need to reexamine how we elect people to Congress. We get exactly what we deserve. Because, yeah, because uh, I, 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 I'm like I, I believe I, I agree with you. There should be people, ordinary. It should be like ordinary citizens, like yourself, myself, who has who who who, who runs with one run with faith and common sense, not dollars and cents so much. I would rather put, uh, believe it or not, I would rather have somebody who who not only looks like me but was almost like me who, who 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 um who is a blue collar worker like myself who knows about jobs about um everyday people and jobs I, I i feel like we should have people in Congress like that are or just ordinary in fact they had ordinary folks like that in the beginning. But people got so we got a lot of fat cats. Part my French in in Congress who fat in the pockets. Part my French on on in so want to fat in their pockets and don't care about the people. Well, we've always had the elite in Congress. Uh, they've always been people of the upper middle class or the upper classes, even historically from the beginning of this country. Uh, In many instances, some were some of the best representatives that we've ever had uh, for the people. So I I believe that Congress should be made up of of citizens. And when you say citizens, you mean irrespective of what your economic or, or, or social status is. It's by the election of the people. So, I don't care if you are a millionaire. If I think that you're going to do a great job for the people, then I would vote for you. At the same time, I don't care if you're a factory worker. If I think you can do a job for the people, then I will vote for you. So, I'm no respecter of persons when it comes to election to, to Congress. But I think that, the, that some requirements should include moral turpitude above reproach when it comes to morality compassion for the people, and an understanding that your job is not to serve yourself, but it's in fact to serve the people. Congress requires a lot of stamina, a lot of insight, a lot of hard work. I don't take anything away from people who do those kinds of jobs. It's not easy. But at the same time, if you buy if you to become a member of Congress and you get elected, then you should take the job seriously. You don't know something; you should learn about it.
5: If right. there is an
4: issue that you cannot stand on, you shouldn't be bought off by other people. Uh, you should have some sense of of, uh, of 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 the kinds of positions that you can take and really advocate. If 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 you could talk to President Obama face to face, what would you suggest to him? About on the job situation and how it and how to about putting people back to work. Well, I wouldn't presume to tell uh, President Obama uh, how to do anything that requires uh, as much thought as as that issue. Uh, he is a trained lawyer from one of the most prestigious universities in America. He has been a, a leader in political life. He's been a senator, and he certainly has had the benefit now of the best intelligence that one could get both overt and covert while being president. So I, I, I'm a, I, I assume that the president knows an awful lot, and I think that he's doing the absolute best that he knows how to do we must remember that this president inherited many many issues perhaps more than at any other time than the the founding of our country that require extraordinary perception insight and planning and so his 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 plate is loaded i think he's an absolutely brilliant man i have a the greatest amount of respect for him. I think he doesn't lose his cool, and that's extraordinary. Yeah. That's what a lot of people would like to see him do. He's got a good swag, a good posture. I think he should keep on doing exactly what he's doing. I think he will probably end up being one of the greatest presidents that America has ever produced. And uh, even, in, even time will judge that. Uh, even in even in the half, even in the 21st century, I think he's going to be the. the raised in the 21st century, Uh, one of the best 21st century presidents we ever have. That's what I see him as. Do you think he'll he'll be be reelected? I I certainly think he will because the the individuals who are running against him uh, are not as equipped uh, intellectually, morally, nor do they understand the issues in this country. All the issues internationally. We have to remember that President Obama restored the standing and how the rest of the world viewed America simply by being elected on the issues he was elected on because his predecessor made us the laughingstock of the world. I mean, we went into two wars with faulty intelligence. Uh, You know, anybody on the street corner could have told you that we couldn't have won in Iraq, and we haven't. Uh, in Afghanistan I lived in Pakistan and traveled through Afghanistan for a number of years so I know very well that we will never ever win in Afghanistan no no intruder interloper has ever won in Afghanistan and the uh what we call the um the the, the valley there uh, from Peshawar up through uh, Kandahar uh because those people culturally are completely different from any other group that you are likely to find anywhere. A young man at the age of eight or nine is given a gun and he's told protect himself. They do not turn out people who they allow the hospitality of their homes. That's why they've never given up the Taliban or others uh, who've been involved in so-called terrorist activities. Uh, We're dealing with a people who have a, Four to 5,000-year-old cultural history, and we think that we can change them through American means of, uh, of, of more weaponry, uh, faster planes, reconnaissance planes, uh, uh, drones, those kinds of things. Those people will fight forever. Hmm. We will never change them. The only thing that is likely to change in Afghani society is the Afghans themselves and that can only come from seeing what is happening in the rest of the world. And, and, and does it is it true that if the only way, and let me see that, see, see, see it right. If Afghans change, then what about the that the leadership in Afghanistan will change, or or they will stay the same as they were? But oh, we impose the leadership. Uh, President Karzai is. Uh, A puppet of the United States government. Uh, I happen to like him. I think he's very articulate. But his brother has been involved in some nefarious dealings, uh, taking money and bribes. But bribery is a part of the way of life of uh, of the uh, subcontinent. So um, you know, I can't knock that. I mean, that's just cultural. But that's a puppet government. Uh, That government will change. It will change as soon as we pull out of there. And, when, and once we pull out, then, then then the society and the government, not the society, but the government itself would become, do you, you think the, the government would be, be democratic like us, or there will be? I think we have an artificial notion of what is democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first of all, we don't have a pure democracy. If we did, we would elect the president directly, one man, one vote. We don't have that. We have a um, we have a system where we elect the people who elect the president. So we don't have a democracy in that sense. There are many different forms of democracy, uh, and I think it is it is it is really kind of jingoistic um, uh, to to expect other people to have governments like ours. We can not go around the world telling people how to change their culture to live like us, or even some semblance of the way. We live. Uh, I think the only thing that is likely to change that part of the world is the new technology and the access to social networking and, and, and the Internet. When people begin to see how other people live elsewhere, when they see that those people live well elsewhere, they will want that. Uh, but uh, sometimes it also gives them exposure to the fact that people that – the world claims it's living well, and not necessarily living that well. I mean, mm-hmm. if they were watching television now, they would see a worldwide outcry against economic policies established by people who are already uh, the one percent in the U.S. that control fifty percent of the money in this country. We're we're just about on the verge of a world economic revolution. Hold on, we're going to come. We're going we're going to get back into the conversation with more. With well, Dr. Johannes, I'm even going to ask him about. I'm even want to want to ask him about this Michael Jackson thing. Mm. Who knows? It, 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 that's one of the things. That, that's one of the cases that was, that's going on. That there's a lot of things. I want to see if you if you can analyze this situation with the Michael Jackson case. Um. I don't know. I, I got my own ideas. You may have your own ideas on on this case. We'll see. Well, well, we'll... I'm I'm not I'm not one that um, gets too bogged down in the trivial minutia of the news. Uh, I think the news sensationalizes a lot of things when there are far more relevant issues that uh, should occupy people's time and their thinking. Uh, Michael Jackson was obviously an extraordinarily talented individual. He was also a junkie Okay He died Uh, There is a murder case going on That happens People who are involved with drugs Die every day They overdose or they're killed And often the other people that are involved Either end up in jail Or they are accessories to the fact of that murder Uh, In my mind it's as simple as that It's not something I'm preoccupied with I'd much rather dwell on the genius of Michael Jackson's music and also the members of his family that are awesomely talented, than to uh, to be in a soap opera way glued to the TV to see Nancy Grace and another lunatic <laughs> analyze the case. Those people make their living off writing books about the. Destruction of other people's lives That's a, that's a family like any other family
1: right. And they
4: should have been allowed To grieve to, uh, In private And to solve their own problems And not be made a spectacle On television Okay hold on we, we, We're going to be back with Dr. John Dr. John Johannes.
6: Right after this This is Nation Talk Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 pm Eastern Time. Hi, this is Paul McCartney on behalf of Rad. If you're drinking, you can't drive my car or any car. And remember, don't drink and drive, it's just not worth it.
7: National
6: Association of Broadcasters and the Ad Council. Citizens of America, this is a message from FeedThePig.org. Americans spent more money than they earned in 2005. This is the first negative savings rate in the U.S. since the Great Depression. America, we must start feeding the pig. On the 1st and the 15th, we must pay ourselves before we pay anyone or anything. We must make a budget. Even consider cutting up a credit card. Log on to feedthepig.org today. Find the benefits of saving for every stage of life. Brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ed Council. Close your eyes in Chicago, and you can hear the sound of a praying in Africa. Look hard out your window in D.C., and you can see the snow covered peaks of the Andes. The world is that small. We are that connected. Please visit Earthshare.org and learn how the world's leading environmental groups are working together. Earthshare. One environment, one simple way to care for it all. A public service message from Earthshare and the Ad
1: Council. This is
3: Sham Radio
6: Network.
4: Welcome back to Nation Talk. The of to call is 1724-444-7444. Caller ID number five 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 one nine. And We're talking with my special guest, Dr.
3: John Johannes, author, social critic, psychologist, author, and poet. We've been talking a lot. We've been Today,
6: we, Tonight we're talking about a lot of issues on a lot of different subjects, and um, Dr. Johannes, being a social critic and psychologist.
4: Um, speaking of psychology the, psychology, the psychologist side of you, as a psychologist, what is your analyst on the male prison population? Is, is there a better way to institutionalize them instead of placing them in prison? Well, that is a rather complex issue, but you can almost predict who's going to jail from childhood. Exactly. The society is structured to, to promote the incarceration, ultimately, of a large percentage of its population, especially African Americans. And unfortunately, Georgia has the highest per capita incarceration rate in the world. That is landmass in the world. That's we're talking about democracy. Uh, you can look at the Soviet Union. You can look at China. You can look at India. You can look at uh, Senegal. You can look at Angola. You can look at South Africa. America has the largest incarceration rate in the world per capita. Uh, uh, Georgia has the largest per capita for landmass. So there's something really. Uh, 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 Diabolical going on here And a part of it is That the society Has deemed Certain people Especially African Americans As expendable So the educational system Does not uh, uh, Encourage them To see themselves As ultimate participants In the society by the time the average African-American youth is eight or nine years old, they're almost ready to say, you know, I can give up. I'm not going to be anything. Maybe I'll be like my dad, nothing. Or I'll be like somebody else, or maybe I'll be a drug dealer out on the streets. And I've had young, young uh, uh, junior high school uh, students tell me that when I used to work in the junior high school that the best bet for them was to try to make a hustle on the streets because they were going to be dead before they got grown. Hmm. Uh, so we we have programmed the society like that. You have to recognize that America perpetrates more violence on people of color than any place else on the planet. It's designed and it's deliberate. So we plan for warehousing African-Americans. So I did a study on this for one of the, of black newspapers in Atlanta, I guess about 10 years ago, and most of the people that you find incarcerated uh, have some kind of drug problem or alcohol problem, and then you have a percentage of them who have some mental illness.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Should these people be incarcerated? Well, the society is programmed so that that's the way they end up. Uh, uh, those who are mentally ill should have had access to mental health care.
1: hmm uh, those
4: who have addiction problems should have had the incentive somewhere along the line to avoid the addiction. But if you have what we call um, learned helplessness, the notion that you can never achieve anything much, then uh, you'll do as the kids used to say, uh, whatever is something to do. Uh, life shouldn't be programmed like that. So we're responsible for it. But it, as Malcolm X once said, the chickens will come home to lose so because now we find that this is spread into the non black community and it's having a devastating effect on our economy and our educational system and it's destructive. America's falling behind in education worldwide. It, as you lift as you lift the average minister 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 Jenkins, as you lift the average person you mm-hmm. the entire society. So for us to let down so many, lets down America and America's future. The, the, the Troy case, the Troy case thing. He, Troy, Troy Davis. It, yeah, the Troy Davis. It, we, but you think that was just unjustifiable um, cause for what he did, for what um, they did to him?
3: Well. I think that enough people recounted their testimony that raised
4: serious doubt, and this was a capital case. Mm-hmm. I think that America is going to have I'm – a, I'm a man of infinite faith, and I believe that America is going to have to pay for that. I cannot judge whether he was innocent or guilty, but they never proved him guilty. And so, before the bar of Justice, he has to be still presumed innocent. America executed a man when there was enough testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they had no forensic evidence to link him to the crime itself. He admitted that he was involved, but he had also said that he never committed the murder. There were just too many questions about that, and I think that's going to come back on this country. As well. It also pointed up uh, uh, a number of things. One, that uh, the justice system needs to be examined at every level. Do not assume because someone has a law degree that they're capable of representing Do not assume that because someone has been elevated to the bench that they are judicious in their decisions. Remember, with the United States Supreme Court and our own. Uh, local son, Clarence Thomas, that denied the execution. Okay. So America is complicit in the death of Troy Davis. Heaven helps us if somewhere down the line some forensic evidence develops that he in fact was not guilty. What a blight on the American conscience. Yeah, because I've heard a lot about that too because there's been there's really no specific evidence. There's no, um, nothing really. this really not a leg, barely a leg to stand on on this case to prove to to, to say that he actually did it or he was at the place. To, uh, no, he said he said he was there at the time, as I recall it. Right. When but he, he said there, him, he did not. He did not have a gun, and he did not okay. shoot that policeman. Right. And uh, but I had think that, 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 that two things came out of that that were out uh, of the whole Troy Davis case, which was rather impressive. One, I think his sister did a courageous job. She did. Uh, leading the citizens uh, in yeah. his advocacy. And it also made America look at capital punishment. And the world. Again. Yes, and the world, but we have to make we have to resolve that situation here in America. Right. Now, interestingly enough, one of my protégés, uh, LeVar Monroe, uh, an artist who studied at SCAD, is now working on his master's degree in St. Louis, did the poster for the Troy Davis uh, case that you saw with Troy with his mouth covered. Uh, okay. It was in red, and it, it went worldwide. It was commissioned by Amnesty and Amnesty. Okay. And and Lavois is one of those people who is very conscientious about uh saving human beings from from ill situations as well as he's an advocate of of, of uh, saving animals from, from cruelty.
6: Okay. So
4: I was pleased to see that uh, that went viral worldwide uh to use that, that poster. But I think Troy's sister really needs to be commended for her efforts, and from my understanding, she's going to continue the work.
6: Yeah, from what from but the last
4: article I read and I cut out the last few. I, let, I cut
6: out like the from the day he was getting ready for it to. I didn't. I missed the one that he's been executed, but I clipped a lot of at, uh,
4: from the morning Savannah morning news, and that's what I'm gonna. <laughs> Keep my collection forever. And that's one of the things. I it's a sad case. I, we we have a brother-in-law that is in and out of prison. And the reason why I brought the prison thing up because we per I I have a personal estate in this because I have a brother-in-law who's in and out of prison a lot. And he was not in jail. He's in prison. In fact, he just got out. I don't know. He he ends up. And you was talking about smell with mental issues and this is one of the things he has he has a one of the things, mental and a drug problem um people we people who are like my brother in law dan is it is it is there another way to house these particular people who have that who have that particular problem because i mean he he won't he won't take his he won't take his medicine for one thing. If that's one thing, unless he's no. instituted. Now, the only way he'll take his medicine, if he's outside the system, he won't take his medicine. If he's inside the system, he will take his medicine, and he's more calmer. But is there, is, should there be a, a separate place for mentally incompetent prisoners who likes that well uh
1: they they really
4: should not be imprisoned if they have mental illnesses. they should be diagnosed and then in some facility for the for mentally impaired people, okay, uh, our society does not do enough with that, and we certainly do not do enough with that in this region um and then they always take talking about taking away uh mental health facilities or cutting back on on the resources provided for them but we could could cut down on the recidivism rate significantly if we tracked people who who showed evidence of mental illness into facilities that house the mentally ill, and that's a whole different population. I'm more concerned about the young people who get involved in casual drugs that end up being incarcerated and come out as hardened criminals the best place to learn to be a criminal is in incarceration, in a penitentiary right. or a jail. And, 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 and most of the time, the rate of recidivism for those individuals is very, very high. They end up going back to jail right. repeatedly. Right. We need to have improved schools, give people a sense that they can accomplish something, that they can be someone. And this is a total community effort. It has to be. The family and the church, we've got too many churches with too much jumping up and shouting and running around and people acting (laughs) crazy, and they're not solving any problems. Uh, Jesus was an advocate of doing something, uh, not just uh, shouting for glory and passing out your anointing oil. Uh, So we need to get off of that and make the churches what they should be. They should be houses of salvation. Uh, They should help people and direct people and save people. Uh, uh, not uh, some place for the messianic celebration of particular individuals in the pulpit. Uh, But some of our churches love their showmen in the pulpit, and so that's exactly what they get. But didn't Jesus say that you should visit those who are in prison? Prison, right? And we don't see a lot of the church going unless it's one of their family members locked up. Uh, There's so much work to be done in in those issues And I don't want to suggest that the church Doesn't do a lot There's no more powerful organization In this community and nationally Than the black church right. But at the same time uh, There's a lot more that can Be done Have you noticed that in Savannah I think we have 141 black we churches
1: <laughs> Yeah and, we do and,
4: and, 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 <laughs> and 90% of them have uh, 12 members <laughs> I mean, what kind of church is that? You don't even have enough offering coming in to do anything except pay the pastor up at least. It doesn't make any kind of sense. Or 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 pay the uh, or make sure the bills being, make sure that the lights stay on, uh, the telephone yeah. stay on. Yeah. And so we, we we have to begin to rethink some of these mm-hmm. things. I'm glad to see that there are some very we may not be able to large, students, non-denominational, be able to family interactive churches with leadership, We're and some of them, what's the students of mine, so I'm, I'm quite proud the of the role that they're playing in the community. But too many of them are just little storefronts uh, right. serving nobody but some ego. Right. But that but one thing I, I could say about, so I'll go to First Tabernacle um Teddy Williams. He, of course, he, that was one of your students, of course. Um, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> um, one of the things that extraordinarily talented individual. Oh yes, very, very, very. I, I, I've been knowing Terry since since my first year in college. Um, one thing um he does, and fact we have a, we do this once a month. We mentor our young men. It's called Focus on Men. It's a great. It's, it's it is one great thing because we mentor. Our young men in our in our church. Um, I'm there most of the time with I'm I'm there most of the time um, with them on once once a once um, one Saturday out the month. It's it's great. We do a lot of different activities. Last month, this past month, this month we went we went out and went to the boys boys and girls we went to the boys and girls club on at the Victory of the um, Jenkins Boys and Girls Club, and we played basketball, played pool. Um, We just had a a time together of just hanging out. And then some days we have, like, different subjects, we'll tackle different subjects. Uh, I I think Pastor Williams going to be doing that next month. I I know that for a fact since he's back now. Um, He was out ill, um, but he's he's doing much better. Um, He we, we tackled different subjects we we doing do so many different subjects and things and um among us about things about men we even even learned how even t- they was teaching guys how to tie the shoe how to um shine the shoes and how to tie ties and um different uh, learn about the different tools that one of the one of the men in our church Brought the tools and they they were showing them the different tools and stuff we went out and cleaned the yard we went out you know clean clean the church yard. I mean, just doing different things on, a Saturday, on, a, on a Saturday morning, which which I think is one of the things that um, I think every church ought to do that. They ought to mentor, start within their church the young men in their church as they, as they bring them in, mentoring, start mentoring them, and that's what that's what Pastor Williams is doing with there. And I think every church ought to do that. And I'm I'm proud to say that your your former student is doing that. <laughs> well, I'm quite proud of, of Reverend Williams uh, as a church leader, as a theological scholar. He's an extraordinary pastor. He he brings the word. His,
1: oh, yes. oh. his
4: musicianship is, is equal to any that you'll find anywhere in the country. I know. And the work he has done with Grammy nominated uh, Georgia Mass Choir has been extraordinary. Uh, but we need to have more and more of that and, and replicate it, and a few people can't do it all. And I'm glad that you speak up well for him. Too often we don't know how to hold up our leaders. Now, I still think of Reverend Williams as a young man,
2: but I guess
4: <laughs> he's getting up in the age. <laughs> <laughs> That's <There> now. <laughs> he still the same. He still the same about, about the hair.
1: Yeah. I did a photographic
4: exhibit in Savannah, um, uh, two, well, 2007, and uh, uh, First Tabernacle was one of the churches that was in that exhibit that was at the Beach Institute because the the building structure is very unique in this city, and it Savannah is. has some unique uh, building structures. It was an extraordinary effort to get that photograph just right. It took me several weeks of photographing that building at every hour of the day. Plus, I had to do some maneuvering to take it from across the street and to get the entire building. But it was one of the centerpieces of of that exhibit. In fact, we just finished celebrating our 113th anniversary today, the conclusion of it today. It was very good. 113 years, that's a long time in the community, um, two years before the turn of the century. That that's, that's not bad for a black church. Which which century are you talking about? Tabernacle. I
0: said, so which
4: century are you talking about? Um, the, We're in the 21st century now. I the, you're talking about the 19th century. 19th, uh, well, actually I'm talking about the... But, um, 1900, two years before 1900. Right, you're talking about the,
5: yeah.
4: Yeah, okay. yeah. It, 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 it it was established like, um, 1898. Yeah, well, we're in the 21st century, so it was actually established two centuries ago. Right, but it, it, we just finished, it just finished, um, coordinating the, the um, finishing up the 113th year of our, um, about of, of the church's existence and it's quite a history. Quite a history. How long were you a, how long um you were a pastor? Well, the last church I was at was Abyssinia. I was pastor at Abyssinia for twenty one years. Wow. See I didn't know that. I, I didn't know it until um I have a friend of mine um, um who who went to your church, um and she was telling me that your name was uh, Johannes I said, oh I said I I sound familiar, I said, That's sounds like um Dr. Johannes from Savannah State and I then just two or two the together going, Oh and that's the thing I didn't know. I didn't know you I didn't know you was a pastor. Oh, I knew you was as a professor. <laughs> 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 that's the same tall and I remember it. Too. It's all about the same thing, helping people stay sane, yep. stay balanced. And spiritually grounded. Yeah, I I mean, I mean, and, and this is like, for me, this is like thirty years ago, and I, and I was like I said, I was a freshman at the time, and,
1: mm-hmm.
6: and
4: I I I admire you because you 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 remind me of the of the of those cats back in the seventies, back in back in the seventies who were. Uh, Promoting black pride, black uh, uh, consciousness, things like that. You, you you, remind me of those guys back in those days. Um, well, I don't nine. think you can be anything other than yourself.
0: Right. I'm black,
4: so I can't be nothing more <laughs> black and proud. Okay, there you go. If I was anything else, I would be alien unto myself, and I definitely don't want to be alien. I'm just being me. I had one of the one of the nice presidents tell me one time, I think you have got too much blackness going on with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I, I think you have a problem. You have a very serious problem because I can never be too much of myself. Oh no. Oh no they didn't. Oh my goodness. Because back cause during that time when you when um when you was a student, it, that's what they that's basically what in the seventies and that's what basically I, I went to I went to I went to one of America's and the world's premier universities, Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. Okay. We were expected to be conscious. We were African-conscious, African-American conscious. African American conscious. Right. Uh, we were expected to be Renaissance men equally at home in the sciences, in the arts, in, 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 in math, right. in, uh, in literature, uh, whatever it happened to be. Uh, someone asked me one day how do you know so much about all of these things? I said that's what I was expected to learn. Right? And so I learned them. I mean the world when I went off to college, my folks told me the world belonged to me, so I went to get it. Okay. I went to see it. There you go. Um see Lincoln University that was um see what's the professor who was the 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 um the president was there, um doctor um his name. He, he was he was the he was the president. He was the president there when I when I was there in eighty one. Um, no no the, no, you're talking about a different person. You're talking about Wendell Rayburn. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I Wendell Rayburn did. went out to Lincoln University in Missouri. That's, that's a much different school. Oh. Lincoln University that I went to in Pennsylvania is the oldest historically black college in America. It was founded in eighteen fifty four.
5: It is a school
4: that produced Langston Hughes and Thurgood Marshall and Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana and uh, Azique, of Nnamdi uh, of 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 Nigeria, the president of first president of Nigeria. Uh, it is a very distinguished school. We have produced the largest number of of uh, PhDs in mathematics, the largest number of scientists uh, impacting the world, the largest number of lawyers. For an African-American university, uh, our history is extraordinary. Before uh, in the 80s, we had produced almost all of the leaders in every endeavor that, come, that came out of uh, university programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a very, very distinguished school, and I stay very much in contact with the alumni. Uh, oh, good. Then, now, Wendell Rayburn was a very nice person at, at Savannah State College at that time. He was later university, but um, university leadership requires extraordinary gifts and talents, especially in historically black institutions, where they are sales on all sides, underfunded uh, uh rarely given the respect for the kind of work that they have to do and uh, uh, very difficult and yet they are highly productive and they nurture. As students in extraordinary ways, uh, so I applaud Dr. Rayburn for his tenure at Savannah State. Yep,
6: he was best uh, best but best if we best had
4: best. if we had ever had a president with the kind of vision that that institution needed, by now we would have at least twenty graduate programs, including a law school and an engineering school, and certainly, given that we have the only estuary on that campus in the university system of Georgia ought to be a marine biology program that is world renowned. Uh we have lost so much because too often the alumni in this area expect so little of the people that they promote for the presidency and they get exactly what they deserve. This has been a very wonderful hang on, Doc. We got uh we got more to come. If you'd like to talk to Dr. Johannes Number card 1724 444 744. Okay, let's try this again. What 724 444 7444? Card ID number 555 19. Hello,
6: I want to say hello to Raymond 23. Thanks for hanging out, buddy. This is Nation Talk. artists
3: talk are not necessarily views of talk shoes, generated production, sort
4: hour of Nation Talk we're at the top of the hour. Top of the hour now. Here on your Sunday evening forum. Wanna remind you on before we get back to Dr. Chicanas, let you know coming up this month and our and, and November on next week have a schedule uh if not Edge Sc H um Edge Stone, but we're going to talk about Transgender Revolution. Our guest agreed to come on to talk about it, and he wrote an article about it, and I want to talk about it and ask questions and talk about what, about the transgender generation, what is
6: the transgender
4: trans- gender revolution and the generation. On the 30th
3: of October...
4: Reverend V. Davis III, who's a candidate for, for the House of Representatives of West Virginia, is coming on to talk about his candidacy. On November 13th, Danielle Spencer, member D. from What's Happening. She's going to be my guest on the 13th of November, Dr. Dan, Dr. Danielle Spencer-Fields from What's Happening. And on the 20th of of November. I have to move today. It's November twentieth. will have the Ministers Round Table. Because of the conflict of the of the guests and the time and the days, I have, I have to move the Minister's round table to make room for Dr. for Daniel Spencer. She's gonna be my guest on the thirteenth. She's great to be my guest. I think uh, my guest to be on 13th of November. So that's what that's what was going on. And if you have a suggestion on who you'd like to have on the program, email me, Minister Kenneth J. at AOL That's Minister Kenneth J. at
3: AOL dot Tonight we have a time between time. My guest is Dr. George
4: Huntis. Educator, psychologist, social critic, author, poet, musician, uh, and comp- he's also a composer. I, he he did something, and I, I was, and I was listening to it the other, uh, the the other day, and very neat. And we going to talk about that as well. Um, uh, about this. the, and I saw it on YouTube. By the way, I saw it on YouTube. It's very neat, very unique. Um, he he you called himself Doctor Wise. Home, and I'm gonna ask you why you call. Ask why, Doctor Why. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, how is it to you, as an educator? How important is education, to you as edu- as a as a former educator? Well, education is the backbone of any society, any civilized society. Um, my folks always said that if we got a good education, we could do anything. Uh, now you can get a good education and still can't get a job. That's so there's, a, there's, there's some problems with with that in this country at this time. But um, I, education is great, but education without application is a dangerous operation. There are some people who get an education and they think they're supposed to sit on their laurels and never do anything uh but education is
5: purposeful.
4: you ought to be able to do something if you learn something, you develop some skills uh you want to be able to use them and deploy them in some way to help yourself and to help your society. I believe that you're blessed when you help other people with the skills uh that you have. But American education is kind of uh, wacky um, <laughs> right now. Uh, first of all, in, in American education, you never learn the important things that you need to learn. You don't learn how to buy a car, to buy a house, how to save money. You don't learn what good sex is. You don't learn anything about the, the kind of uh, interrelationships that people want to have, and you don't learn how to identify crazy people. Okay. <laughs> uh, and all of those things are vital to survival in the world in which we live. You uh, know how it was back when when we was at at Savannah State about when we used to go to our, how we used to register for classes and get at the long line. I was telling somebody, I was telling uh, somebody that earlier this week about the difference between. Um, it was the lady who was going to SCAD, I think it was, and I, I was telling them about how when I was at Savannah State, and as I said, and it's telling me I'm telling my age, and it's been about thirty, about since about thirty years ago. We used to we used to stand we used to stand in line to, for uh, our classes in in the old gym. I remember that distinctly. Go to the old gym, get our, get our find the classes you want, stand in line, then go to find a uh stay in line to make sure your financial aid is right then you have to go back to your, back to the register's office and go back there back to the make sure you got your classes then make then go right back to the to the um get yeah make a couple of trips back to the um the um file to to the um uh, fileship office because make sure you know make sure you get your make sure make sure your grant is you know up to snuff. you got up to snuff but nowadays they have it now. It's online. You can go, you can do everything online. Is, is that to you a, a better, is that a a new, Is as an educator, do you think that's a lot better than it was, than it was, than it is? I, I, when I registered many, many years before I came to Savannah State for my doctoral classes, I did it over the telephone. Really? not one hitch. When I came to Savannah State, I was appalled at the backwardness of the registration process. And I hate to say that it hasn't improved significantly since then. Now you can do it online, but you still have all kinds of problems being kicked out of classes, the unavail- unavailability of classes, and people still have to go through those same kinds of gyrations. We're checking with this office and that office. Yeah. Yeah. are not enough classes being offered for uh, individuals and changing the schedule and people having to graduate a, a semester and so late. It's just a lack of planning. I think that every institution ought to be able to get better significantly by the institutionalization of procedures and practices and making sure that everybody follows through on them. Um, it certainly does not endear you into developing a love for an institution if they stress the daylights out of you in the process of getting in.
5: Mm-hmm. We can
4: Believe.
5: do better. We've Believe always me.
4: been able to do better. The problem is we've been using grandma's tennis shoes type folk to solve new age technological problems. You should never have to even step on the campus to be registered for a class.
1: Mm-hmm. All of that
4: should be able to be done mm-hmm. online 24-7, and the classes should be available. Should offer what is what is what is appropriate within the discipline, and it should in fact be there. Uh, it, it just requires some thinking. It amazes me that so many years go by at these historically black colleges with the same kinds of problems, and they still pay people salaries whose job it is to do that. When I came the Savannah State in that period, which you talked about,
0: the first thing I wanted
4: to know was. Why is the registrar still on staff, okay? If this process looks like this, then that individual needs to be removed and somebody who can handle their job, and I'm sure there are always people looking
3: for a job, I had to go I mean, well it may have changed it may have changed and so yeah,
4: perhaps we idea. should not speak on it but it was pretty much the same when I left the institution in 2007 <laughs> <laughs> because when I went there it was it was cuz I had to go back a few times oh, make sure that right. classes there mm-hmm. uh, oh, and especially goodness, I had to go back cuz I was on got um I, I was on the grant I was getting a, I was getting I was getting a Pell grant and by the graces of Upward Bound, I was able to get to go to Savannah State and, you know, Next to time. thank Sarah, God for, you know, know, having, know. you know, having you know Upward Bound, know you know, they, to they help you with Ms. Mobley. Who well, was running like Upward Bound program at <laughs> the time, Willie Mae Robinson? Right. She was, Miss Robinson. And she ran that program as efficiently as any university is run. She ran it. I mean,
5: yes.
4: she, 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 she ran it. She was one of our great leaders. And a very good friend of mine, and, um, and and I used to say that if she were running the university, the way she ran up and down, it would be the joking. whole I'm of the university. <laughs> I'm oh, telling you, and 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 that program is, believe me, it's a saving grace for any. Um, it certainly is. Before uh, I, I, watched, uh, I, I watched uh, Reverend Warnock on television today at the uh, dedication of the King Memorial. Okay. And he was a student just about around the same time you were in Upper okay.
1: okay, at Savannah okay. State. So okay.
4: they, they, they did come up with one really outstanding thing, and that slogan was, you can get anywhere from here. Right, Because uh, when I see people like him who have gone on to, uh, to stand in the midst of greatness, well, let's talk about my music. I got a new CD coming out. Oh, out my goodness. <laughs> and uh, there are a number, uh, number of uh, uh, spoken word pieces on there. I don't know which ones you saw on Facebook. It was one uh, about Barack Obama, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah it's called I a saw man that one. A, man. a man's a man. I saw that one. I was, I was very impressed. How did you come up with that? Well, I mean,
1: you just
4: have to look at the situation. Uh, uh, Too often uh, The press is ridiculous In the way they cover uh, President Obama And I'm so proud to be able to say President Obama
1: Thank you Uh, very much
4: uh, uh, They make too much out of Every little nuance uh, Every little movement Uh, You know He can't have his shirt off He can't have his shirt on He can't go (laughs) here He can't run too fast The man is a man (laughs) But he's an extraordinary man because he came into leadership at a time our country was in 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 the pits of of, of economic despair and and some moral despair. I mean, anybody who would trust Bush uh, would trust us snake deal. uh mm. uh Bush was not bright. He had every indication of having uh, alcohol syndrome. Uh, there are many people who uh, who were drunks for many years. And then even when they stopped drinking, they still have the same behaviors. Bush had that same kind of thing. And uh, we we analyzed the behavior analysis. He tended to to stutter, uh, to be distracted, to repeat himself. Uh, Remember, he had a degree from uh, Harvard University. So it shows you that uh, it doesn't matter where you went to school. If you don't have good common sense, you still just don't have good common sense. Uh, But his daddy had been the head of the CIA had been president of the United States, and through some maneuvering, he managed to end up actually being president, probably will go down in history as being one of the worst presidents America has ever produced.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
4: uh, But uh, Barack Obama had all that to clean up, and they're still blaming the Bush mess on President Obama. Obama. And Katrina and all that mess in the war. Katrina, the war, everything. everything. And people still mad about him about Katrina. Yeah. Well, I live in a, in a basically Republican neighborhood. Uh, when I first put my, what I, well, I'm, I have never really put signs in my yard because my wife spends a lot of time making sure our idea. lawn looks fabulous. Uh, but this time I drove through the neighborhood and there were so many Republican signs. I said, hmm, I think I better put me a Barack Obama sign in my yard. And I did. And my neighbor commented, you have a Barack Obama sign in your yard? I said, yes, but I'm going back down to the Obama headquarters and get me another one. And I put two in my yard. Uh, that was the first for me. Uh, and, and, you know, um, but well, I I I I think <laughs> that history will judge him, judge him and judge him well. how do you think um this, this, um figure history
3: I don't want um to garbage.
4: what do you think what do you think his legacy gonna be um the president's legacy gonna be what is greater? Well, right his, the assessment of Obama will come twenty years down the road uh, because uh, the mean spiritedness of Republicans and white racists in this country are going to try to bury all of the good that he has done for at least a decade. So it will be down the road before we will look back and see that at one of the critical junctions in American history, we had a man that calmly and quietly steered the ship of states.
1: And I think that's what it's
4: And I'm very proud of his wife and his daughter's, they conduct themselves as, as good citizens, as good people. Uh, they don't have to lie about things. Uh, there's no uh, 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 uh,
1: uh, scuttlebutt.
4: I mean, even Clinton, that so many people love, he had a history before he even went into the White House.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Bush
4: was a drunk. I believe Reagan was senile and had dementia <laughs> long before it was admitted. Uh, so, I mean, we we just had some folks that just weren't too uh, kosher But we put them up Because of their backgrounds and the color of their skin I think Barack Obama And I like the fact that he does not play the race card He, does. he is the president of the United States He's not the black president of the United States He is the president He's not the president of the blacks He's the president of everybody He is the leader of the most powerful nation now on the face of of the planet. And America would do well, well to hold him up. And one of the things I say in that song, uh, The Man is a man, is he's smart. Smart presidents make smart residents. He does. He he's very he's a very brilliant, brilliant man. Anybody who's head of the Harvard Law review has to be brilliant. Harvard does not allow anyone to be in charge of the most prestigious publication that comes out of that university unless they are more brilliant than every other potential person to head that up. And Barack Obama headed the Harvard Law Review as a graduate law student. And, and, and your, your, your music, what's where's, where's the genre, genre of your music? Um, it's spoken word and instrumentation. Uh, I have a, I have a group that plays with me called The Elements of Truth, and uh, we do spoken word, but but uh, we do it from old school, hip-hop, uh, calypso. I've done it all. Uh, uh, I've composed synthetics as well as uh, rap music, uh, <coughs> the whole thing. But this new CD is called I've Had Enough Tracks on there that uh, – Things should be rather interesting. One of them is called Who Stole the Money? Because we know that there wasn't, no, wasn't no brothers in the hood that went out and stole the money.
1: Okay. Somebody
4: stole the money.
1: <laughs> the
4: people who have messed up the money worldwide, where is the money? I want somebody to show me the money. Somebody just stole that money. That's why those people are protesting on Wall Street, because brothers in the street and sisters in the street don't have jobs. They don't have medical care and yet somebody can go and testify before Congress and say they made $19 and not millions, but $19 million, billion, dollars—last uh, a fortune of $19 billion, and they have given none of it back. Where did they get their money from? Hmm. How are you going to make $19 billion unless you stole something from somebody and you haven't given any of it back to anybody? That's, that's yeah, a a legitimate reason to protest. Unless you're a mobster. Yeah. Well, that's what they are. They are super white, starts to white collar mobsters, hooks uh, and crooks on multiple continents, banking in Switzerland, stealing in America, and sending jobs to China. Mm. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Who, who, <clears throat> oh, oh, speaking of music. What is your opinion on today's music in, as a as a composer and a musician? I love it all. I love it all. I love every bit of it. Uh, uh, I, I'm a real connoisseur of music. It wasn't my strength in, in, in university. As a matter of fact, at mid-semester I had a poor grade in, in, in music. And the professor oh. who was a child prodigy, uh, I went to him and I said, Doc, if I get... Um, if I pass this final exam, uh, will you pass me for the course? He knew that my 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 uh, prowess in music was so bad. He said to me, he says, oh, 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 I'll tell you what, whatever you get uh, on the final exam, I will give you for the course. He was so certain I was going to fail that final exam. I got an A on the final exam.
1: <laughs> and he
4: renewed and gave me a B. I held it against him until the day he died. Oh my but, uh, gosh. Uh, but I made up for it and I'm, 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 I'm quite proud of it. Uh, one of my symphonies will be uh, presented in March, not March, uh, January 15th at the uh, Strathmore Music Center in Washington, D.C.,
1: wow. one of the most
4: prestigious music centers. It's presented, been presented now, I guess, about seven or eight times with some of the best voices in the country. And three of my grandsons are music producers and uh, to tell you the truth, uh, uh, Mr. Jenkins, I'm trying to take them out.
1: Oh I'm no, to tell them.
4: I said, no, no I said, you know, I know you boys think y'all bad but <laughs> but um, and it's my youngest one that told me one day when I was when I was doing one of these pieces, he said, uh, he said, I think you ought to call yourself Doctor Wise. I said, Why? And he said, Doctor Wise W H Y S because Doctor Wise asks all the hard questions.
6: Questions. And
4: he gives ah. the wise
1: answers.
4: He gives the wise
1: answers. To I said, okay, that's all right. So the saw going. one of my
4: tracks, it had on that Doctor Wise.
1: Says, Go ahead, bro. <laughs> oh,
4: so it was it, your youngest, your youngest son, or youngest grandson? My youngest grandson. He gave you the, he gave you the the, 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 the suit on Doctor Wise. I'm because sure I seen it on 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 Facebook and I was like, yeah. I, I I've been noticing it lately and like Doctor Wise are going, okay, right, like, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I have 14 tracks on this new CD. They're all done. The only thing I'm doing now is mastering the last probably five or six of them. Okay. And it covers the whole thing, uh, it covers the whole range, it deals with all kinds of relationships. Hmm. Now that, that's that's another aspect I didn't know about you. I didn't know I didn't know you was a musician, I didn't know you was a composer. I, I had no idea about this. Um, yeah, well I've I've done twelve musical I've done twelve plays in Savannah. You remember, remember that. in the musicals.
0: And that right.
4: because there was only one of them that was uh, straight drama. And uh, last year, uh, I did, uh, for the Johnny Mercer Centennial, I did the play Mr. Mercer, which was received worldwide uh, uh, as a part of that centennial of Johnny Mercer. And then last year, I did three plays at the Lucas, a trilogy of plays of, called the Juice Series.
1: Hmm.
4: Uh, and I did several at Savannah State. Uh, they They were all over subscribed, we had to turn people away. Um oh, my. in every instant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 who are some of your who are some of your favorite writers and why? Well, I I guess one of them well, right now my favorite writers are the three people who wrote blurbs on the back of my new book. Uh Sonia Sanchez. Sonia oh. Sanchez is perhaps the legendary poet of hip. Uh That's Tony great. Medina who's professor. Percept- Howard University, uh, who's a young African, Auroc, um, uh Caribbean brother, uh, distinguished poet, sharp uh, Tony is one of my favorites. Uh, there are a number of poets that I, I'm doing a piece now. Well, I just did a piece for a peace wall in uh, Philadelphia, and on that wall will be the work of uh, Maya Angelou, uh, Alice. Uh, Walker.
1: Okay. Uh Nikki
4: Giovanni. Um, oh wow. Jerry Ward. Hakuma Booty. Uh of course Tony Medina that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh so I'm in kinda high cotton, but I've known those folks for mm good forty years. I, I got an opportunity to meet um Nikki Giovanni when she came to Savannah State, um, Oh boy. The so last time she was here like oh about four or five, six years ago and I, I got a picture of her and an autograph. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, well uh, Nikki did a book Nikki did a book uh, two years ago called Hip Hop Speaks to Children. I don't know if you've seen that book. Um, it was on the New York bestsellers list, uh and it was also it won the uh NAACP image award. Well, I have a piece in that book and I'm sandwiched between Langston Hughes and Martin Luther King. That's pretty okay. good company. Not bad. That's yeah. not, that's not that's not bad and that's at a all. Book, yeah, that's a book that you would recommend for all children, but it but adults would like it too. And there's a CD that goes along with it. Okay. Yeah, 'cause I I have I have a I have a collection a book a collection. I I also am a I'm also a poet, and and I I've, I've written I got a lot of pieces written. Huh. None of them. Published yet Only set for the hell But For right now But For me right now It's kind of Um For the moment Financially It's kind of Tough right now To actually Finance My own uh, My own work And when you're On a fixed income You know it, It 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 makes it even more It makes it even more Tougher Especially when you're On a fixed income Um Cause I, I have a lot. I, I have my wife can tell you. It's I got like, really like so many different, different books of poems till To it's to ridiculous. Now I'm I'm just Chomping at the bits right now, trying to get them published. We we did a poetry. In fact, we had we had a poetry night last night at at it was Wonderful, very wonderful. I didn't know, the, I didn't know the many talented poets that was in that that was in our at, at our church. Who wrote original poems other than myself, I, and I felt right at home, right at home. My wife, um, did it. Read a piece of mine that all she did was she mentioned one word, and I just sat there and wrote the whole poem in one in, in what a couple of minutes, and she was she was shocked about it. <laughs> it's called Sunday Shoes, mm. and it, it's. One of my favorite pieces is it's one of my favorite pieces that I, I that, um that. she, she this is one of her favorite, this is one of her, that's one of her favorite pieces. She loves that. She loves reading and reads it. And she and she blushes when she says, My poet, Minister Kenneth Jenkins. She she blushes when she says <laughs> We'll be back we will talk about more about writing.
6: This is Nation Talk.
4: Talk to you and Jam Radio. This is
6: the Jam Radio Network.
2: Hi, this is Mark Anthony Farad, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. Music is one of the most important things in my life, but nothing is more important than life itself. Choose a designated driver. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. How I long
6: Public service message brought to you by the Ad Council, mm-hmm. U.S. Department of Transportation, National Association of Broadcasters,
1: and RAM.
7: Suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands only CPR is recommended by the American Heart Association and it's incredibly easy and effective. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. The power to help save a life is in your hands. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council.
6: Hi, Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two.
1: This Jam Radio Network.
4: Welcome back to Nation Talk. We're talking with Dr. John Johannes. I'd like to get into the conversation of we'll Ask Him a Question. You can at one seventy two four 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 seventy four forty four. Call I D number five 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 one nine pound. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow morning for morning inspirations on January two point one at six AM in the morning. Got the very best in gospel and got inspirational music right here. So stay tuned. I finally found out what cause. I finally found out that the name the word I was looking for. Um, Doc was uh, social radio. um citizen radio. Mm-hmm this is this is, this mm-hmm. is what it's called i i was definitely i was trying to think of i knew i, I knew i think of it cuz I, I was looking i was looking it up in in, in wikipedia so it's, this is called citizen citizen radio and mm-hmm. more like citizens um going out speaking out to um going out it's ordinary citizens speaking out on issues of, of what they want to talk about like nation talking and in other, in other programs. Um, again, thank you so much for jo- join join the, um, being part of this uh, conversation. Um, I'm. I was. We were talking about writers and writing. Um, what would you, you suggest to me as a as a young as a unknown poet, local local unknown poet who's trying to get out there. What would you suggest to me and for people like myself who who have all this tons of writing, and wants to, and wants to put it out there, but financially can't, but financially right now, really can't, really really can't afford it. What would you, you suggest? A, a to well, me the first thing you know have so to so find that. out is whether you are poor or not, because a lot of people who think they're writers that really are not. I mean, they write things, but nobody's interested, and they mm-hmm. have no skills. So you you have to really have some determination of whether or not this is a calling that's for you. If you're not an auto mechanic, you shouldn't try to be. If you're <laughs> not a poet, you wouldn't try to be. Uh, so you have to be validated and legitimized by people who are, in fact, poets or who the conventions of poetry. Poetry is not just making up words and throwing them out somewhere. Uh, I had a friend who was one of He was my best friend that used to write poetry all the time, and he would come to me and say, John, let me read this to you, and he would read it. It'd be so funny i had to run out the door.
1: But <laughs> in his mind,
4: he thought that he was a poet. He was no more a poet than my
2: cat. But, okay. Uh,
1: uh,
4: uh, 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 then, of course, one should not discourage people. But the best way to find out whether you're a poet or not is, especially now in this age where we have slam poetry and stuff like that and, and, and the right. kinds of things that groups like AWOL does, go out and read your poetry. If you get good response and good reception, then maybe you can legitimately say you're a poet. Then you could consider how you might get that to a, a larger audience. But I think it's marvelous that we have places where people can actually go and read their poetry and be heard. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've always been a poet that preferred um, uh, my work to be heard. Uh, that is the invention of poetry that goes back all the way to antiquity. The first poets were not published poets. They were bards. They were people who were griots. They were people who read their work, in from their heads, they recited it uh, around the campfires or, or on the uh, trail uh, while they were moving about or for various ceremonious occasions. So I think you should be commended. I Almost a two page thing, and I was done and within thirty minutes, i think probably probably, know, maybe thirty, maybe thirty minutes, and that was it and I'm getting out and after that, people' like it really I, I like to i mean people really respond to it um to it because it deals with it as' actually analogy of of a person, like a person, a journey. It's like the journey to different places, like, the journey, like your church or you go. I even mentioned um, the cotton fields, like back in the South, where the cotton fields and when freedom cries, and the marches and the, the marches and things like that. It, it, it's a, it, and then walking back to church and remembering those old. And, and remembering those days when, um, used to when you when you would, when you would, um, the on the old country church, mm-hmm. you know the old country churches with the wooden floors, and you, you, when you when you shout and, or you walk in, and the, the dust comes up, and those those type of old things like that. So it kind of mm-hmm. it kind it kind of mm-hmm. it brought me back to that. Kind it kind of brought me that back to thinking about those things. Uh Johnny was, was, was let this say hello to Johnny in California, over in, in Oregon, Oregon. Oregon Over in Oregon. Hello Johnny ironshow.com. com. Hello. This we're talking with we're talking with um John Johannes. He's a social critic, psychologist, analyst, poet, composer Professor, I don't know <laughs> Do you have a question for Dr. Johannes?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, how do I get a hold of you? I'd like to do an Iron Show session with you Get down, get really deep Learn a lot of things, help people Well, I
3: I don't do this kind of thing often
0: Okay, uh, well, um, I really think that uh, you should because um, there's a lot of uh, healing that's going on because of the things you can teach. Uh, you know, I I got some healing tonight listening to you just for a minute. So well, should... I
4: believe in I believe healing is the ultimate aim of every educator and every poet. They they all run the same the the same race. Uh, I did this program simply because Mr. Jenkins had at one time been a student of mine, but I gave up doing radio and television <laughs> interviews, I guess, about some years ago. Okay. And, 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 and it's purely a selfish motivation. I'm a writer. The same energies that I use for writing are dissipated by doing these kinds of things. I, I think you can understand that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate your interest. I've got a poem for you, and it was, uh, it's very short, and it was, it's a true story about my dad, and I turned it into a poem. Uh, when my father was a young boy, he made a big mistake. His elders stood before him, boiling in rage. They tied a rope to daddy, so cruel and tight and strong. The other end was tied to the dog. Spinning sky, frightened boy, angry dog. Help me, God. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I like that. What
4: you do. Oh, I like God. that. Yeah. That. Johnny, you got you know you got a song called "Tied tie the Dog."
0: Yeah, those are the words. I okay. really believe that. I, you know, it sounds arrogant to say this, but I've written poetry, you know, a lot, and um, I've also, you know, and I've been, you know, I've read all the greats, you know. To learn how to do it and went to poetry classes and stuff, but I'm telling you what, writing a song lyrics is so much more advanced than poetry because you have to make that fit into a song. You it's not just the words and the cadence. You have to you have to have the rhythm and the notes and the and the expressions and everything, you know, to make that thing fit into a song. I just think it's so much more advanced. Have you ever Considered uh, lyrics versus uh, Poetry you know And considered the differences Well
4: I am somewhat gifted As a lyricist I have over 150 songs In my BMI catalog And I've produced seven symphonies And I'm getting ready to do a new symphony Uh, Well the commitment is to do it Next year they are completely Different genres but it's I don't know, I have a special gift as a librettist. Uh there's a young man, uh Dr. Stephen Michael Newby out in Seattle, who's at uh, uh what is the name of the school? It's, it's Seattle Seattle Pacific University who's doing the music to a libretto that I wrote about ten years ago. Uh and I when I was him last I said, Well if you need me to do the melodies for that, I will try to recapitulate them. When I originally wrote the libretto, the melodies were in my head, but I knew he wanted to do the music for it, so I didn't bother to hold on to them. And he said, no. I said, well, if you have any difficulty with the the scansion um, of any of the lines, uh, let me know in terms of song because they don't have to be, just as I originally wrote them for the libretto, he said no. He said actually they all scan. So I guess when I when I write a piece of music from the perspective of the lyrics, I already have a melody in my head. I already know the meter. Uh, 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 some of it is, is is counterpoint, but even that's in my head. I even can hear the um, the the background singer, or uh, I know in my own mind how I'm going to layer tracks or or have uh, uh, or certain things punched in on different tracks. So I don't know. It's just kind of a gift. It's unfortunate that when I was at the university, we all had to play the recorder and uh, in the music class, and I just couldn't master that recorder. But recently I spoke with, one of the geniuses of that period, who was a saxophonist in in, in Atlanta, well, in in um, in the D.C. area, and he said, "Well, I couldn't play that recorder either," so that made me feel good. Believe it or not, here it is here. The man is a man, Doctor Wise. This is the song by Doctor Johannes and. Um, who's, who's the other composer you said was? No, this is just me. Oh, just you. Okay. This, this, is, this is the song. He's pure American like Washington, Jefferson, and Abe Lincoln. He's a rock star. But
2: cat's more than that. He walks tall, head held high in the American sky. He's bold enough, he's rough, he reigns tough, he's so smart. That's the best part. Smart presidents make smart presidents. residents.
1: Residents.
4: Dr. Wise aka Dr. Judge Johannes the man is a man That's it. Obama, Obama drama. <laughs> yeah, one of my uh one of my former students who just died recently was Gil Scott-Heron. Okay. Who wrote, the revolution will not be televised. Of loud and rambunctious and
1: <laughs> irascible,
4: really. Um, but I read his first novel and encouraged him, and he went on to be an extraordinary uh, spoken word artist. And it was sort of reflecting on him and writing a piece on him that I decided that I would um, maybe I'd do some spoken words since I'm, I produced a lot of people in the studio and I never, never thought about doing it for myself. But it's different because with yourself, there's nobody to complain that you're too hard, too driving, and you've got. You know, you have to get it right yourself. It's easier. Yeah. When I first saw this on, I, I was I was on YouTube. I said, let me see, if I can find something on if he had a speech or if he had if he said something or did I come up and then found this? I'm going,
6: really? I was like,
4: wow. Okay, he 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 he's a
6: composer, and I, I well, those oh, Wow,
4: that piece is in iTunes, and it's also open to public use uh, by permission, uh, and it's going to be a part of the Obama campaign. Uh, I do have from one of the early plays that I did in Savannah and tours. Yes, Lord, all of my gospel music is also on uh, Amazon.com. And it's um, uh, it's in iTunes as well. Uh, so there's a lot of my music around. You won't find it by the name of Doctor Wise. That's a new handle. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, your and grandson, he, yeah, I see I where he gets a genius from. He, uh, uh, I, I he gets the genius from his father. His father is um, uh, Victor Williams, who is one of the top percussionists in the world. He plays with uh, Najee right now, but okay. he's played with everybody from Donnie McClurkin to Yolanda Adams to the Yin Yang wow. Twins to uh, Santana. Wow! To, uh, wow. to uh, he's just played with everybody because he's so extraordinary. When they do a new recording or something or have a major gig, they ask him if he can come, and if he consents. You know, they fly him to wherever it is. He's just back from Nigeria and Japan, uh, and he was in France recently. He'll just take three days off, go cut a piece. When he did uh, he did the recording with John McLaughlin, who's perhaps the top percussionist in the world, mm. uh, he never even met John McLaughlin. Uh, they flew him into France. McLaughlin was in Egypt, I think, and uh, he laid down the tracks. With percussion, and, uh, and and the recording was done, uh, and they they never met. Uh, a lot of music is done like that these days. You lay down a track one place, and somebody else do something else. I had a really nice piece that I liked of Elton John with uh, Janet Jackson, and I was find out that they recorded it on two different coasts simultaneously. Hmm yeah it could be done you also have a daughter that models i think her i uh i've seen her picture she is gorgeous she is she is gorgeous Well, I have one daughter who is a singer and okay you can find her stuff on youtube uh and uh that's miss Lucia she used to perform here in savannah at the um, One of these clubs on on Broughton Street, Miss Lucia, Lucia's playground. And the other daughter, the youngest daughter, is a photographer, and she has a lot of models that uh, work with her. And then, of course, I have a middle daughter who's uh, in library science. And uh, then my son is the executive and e-communications director for the mayor of Atlanta. He runs that program for the city of Atlanta. He's a Savannah State uh uh former Savannah State person. And uh my oldest daughter is an emergency physician in Baltimore. I think I remember your son 'cause because I think your son and I were in the same class. Probably. Um, he enjoyed his stay at Savannah State. Yeah. I I remember him I, I remember him. Uh, I remember the face so well. Um we used to see each other on campus a lot and we 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 would talk, you know, for a few moments and and I think he was one of my—I forgot what class he was in. He was one—he was in one of my classes. He was a mass communications major. That's it, 'cause 'cause that's what, that was, that was the major I was going—that was, was I was going towards at the time. Um, but um, it's it's—I haven't seen him in oh gosh, it has been like 30 years since I've seen him. 'Cause since then I, I haven't been back to college lately.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I haven't been back, you know, lately. So. Um, which I'm working on, going, trying to get back to, um, sooner or later, and he'll get there. Uh, he'll come. Just right now. Well, let's hear the poem you wanted to share. Okay, I can do that. The, the this is the one that this is the one that my wife inspired me called "Cindy Shoes." <laughs> can you walk a mile? In my Sunday shoes. Go to places I've been long and wide. Or some place you pay your dues. Can you wear my shoes that dance in God's praises. Cutting a, cutting a step or two. Head rear back and voice raises high. Those old, dusty Sunday shoes. I walk places far as well near and back again to go anywhere to any place I want to go from here and then there again to march long for freedom's cry to church on, on a dusty country road to the fields where cotton grow high in my old dusty Sunday shoes can you just walk walk in these old, dusty shoes, being full of or either friend, in those old, dusty shoes. If I had to walk to hell and back, I would in these dusty old shoes, but I only walk to church in them. In fact, these old, dusty Sunday shoes, will, I'll keep walking in them until the good master calls me home, hoping someone will someday feel these old, dusty, sandy shoes. Yeah, I like that. It has, it has a lot of promise. There are a few things I would probably work with to change, but I that's very good. I, I can feel it. I can sense that. Now let me share one out of my head if I can remember
1: it. One, okay.
4: one of my poems was um, uh, on the cover of... Uh, a major exhibit catalog and a part of the quilts exhibit in the Smithsonian, which kind of tripped me out because as a little kid growing up in Baltimore, I used to take trips to the Smithsonian, the great Smithsonian. And then eventually here I am going to see my own work, I think there were eight of them. And it was interesting because the section that they were in was under construction, so people weren't really walking around there, so I had it all to myself. And I just tripped. I said, if my mama could see me now,
5: okay. Up here on
4: the walls in the Smithsonian. And this poem was this poem was a part of that exhibit, and it has toured and been uh, made into a symphony. It was a part of the song that Sweet Honey and the Rock did. It said, it's called Hand Me Down My Mother's Work. It's very short. My best poems are always short. It says, Hand me down my mother's work. And Oh God, I forgot it. And me down, my mother's work. <laughs> oh. Well, I better walk somewhere and find a copy of the book. <laughs> 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 and it's funny, uh, uh, Minister Jenkins, because I used to go places when I used to do poetry recitals, <laughs> and people would say, people would say, do that for him, Doc, and I would say, but I don't remember, and they said, but we do, and then they would be it. <laughs> <laughs> say, oh, okay. <laughs> that's a, that's the way it goes, huh? Yeah, so well,
5: it's especially
4: especially when you're getting a little older. No, right. it has nothing to do with that. It has the <laughs> fact that I just don't keep stuff in my head, even though it may very well be mine. I have a right. whole slew wow, wow. of uh, things here. I
6: don't know. I don't
4: either. I I don't even keep. I don't. I don't even keep them. A lot, and I like I read mine. But as far as keeping in my head, forget about it. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I, I got I got too many poems.
0: Yeah, I got there too many are poems people that here. know my
4: work that I don't even know. The oh work, really? With that's what I'm saying. That people would they recite that, and I said, well, I don't really know that off the top of my head. Like that you caught me off guard, and they would say. Um, well, I know it. And I well, then you recited. recite it better than you do. No, I doubt that. Now, there are very few people that recite their work better than me. Uh, in fact, that was one of the reasons I used to do a lot of the Langston Hughes thing, because mm-hmm. people said that I, I that recited Langston Hughes better mm-hmm. than Langston Hughes. Uh, Langston used to do... Uh, the Negro speaks of rivers and he would talk like this. He would say, I've known rivers.
6: Yep, I've sure known
4: rivers as ancient as the world. And I would do it, I've known rivers. I've known rivers as ancient as the world. And as old as the flow of human blood in human veins, there's a big difference. But then I had a background in theater as well.
1: Right.
4: And so
3: that sort of tragic, But actually, I can't find it. Go I ahead. Can't find it. that's why I'm looking for for that. Such a short poem. It's just that one line was
4: different.
1: Um,
4: okay. Then my <laughs> 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 Okay, here it is. Speak Yeah, 'cause yeah, this is I I actually got a recording of that. My
6: earliest serious poem to be published was a poem called The Negro Speaks of Rivers. I wrote this poem when I was eighteen rode it on a train going to Mexico just after I graduated from That's
1: high school. Like My father lived in
6: Mexico City. On the train as we crossed the Mississippi River just outside St. Louis, sunset time, I saw this great muddy river flowing down towards the heart of the south, and I began to think about what it had meant to the Negro people in the past. How in slavery time to be sold down the Mississippi was, I heard, the worst thing that could happen to a slave because if they sent you down into the rice fields, into the delta, the hot regions around New Orleans, you might not live very long. And then, I remember reading that Abraham Lincoln, as a young man, had gone down the Mississippi, he'd seen the slave market in New Orleans, the buying and selling of human beings, and he never forgot it. It was Lincoln who, many years later, signed the Emancipation Proclamation that freed the black slaves. And so, these thoughts went into this poem of mine and I wrote down in this train, shortly after we'd gone across this river in the sun, and from Mexico City, I sent the poem to a Negro magazine called The Crisis, the organ of the National Association for the Advancement of the Colored People. I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient of the world and older than the flow of human blood in human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I bathed in the Euphrates when ponds were young. I built my hut near the Congo and it lulled me to sleep. I looked upon the Nile and raised the pyramids above it. I heard the singing of the Mississippi when Abe Lincoln went down to New Orleans, and I've seen its muddy bosom turn all golden in the sunset. I've known rivers. Ancient Just rivers my soul has grown deep like the rivers. Yep. That was still that was you're list.
4: listening. Now that the theory. that I was referring to was Hand Me Down My need Mother's need Work. And it goes like this. Hand me down my mother's work in the bright patterns that she made for she did keep a dream or two from before she was a slave. Hand me down my mother's work and the symbols that she knew for I must make a patchwork quilt for my children too. I uh, Langston Hughes. Uh, when I was a student at Lincoln University, I was a designated driver for Langston Hughes. Uh, my mentor, uh, Dr. Earl Winderman at the university, would ask me to drive him and Hughes out to this little uh, bar called the Red Rose Inn.
5: <laughs>
3: and
4: my the reason I was there was in case either one of them would get too inebriated to drive back home. The problem was those guys could really drink. <laughs> and when it was all over I didn't drink. But I um I I felt like I was intoxicated but then I they they would always be able to drive home. So But it was a good experience for me to be uh you know just just to be in the company. I didn't talk much uh, because Earl Winderman was absolutely brilliant, and, of course, in the company of Langston Hughes, uh, there wasn't really much for me to say. And I told a friend of mine about that experience years later. Uh, I used to go to Langston's home in his brownstone in New York to pick up the books that he donated to the university as well. Hmm. Uh, But I told a friend about it many years later, and I said, you know, I actually met Langston Hughes and would drive him out with Earl Winderman on a number of occasions, red rose then when he would come down to the university. And she said, no, that wasn't the first time you met Langston Hughes. I said, yes, it was. She said, no, we met Langston Hughes in the second grade. I said, what do you mean? She said, weren't you in the voice choir, which was a unique thing for those days, but we had a speaking voice choir. And Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I remember that. And she said, well, one time we went to – to perform for Langston and When we finished, he performed five. And I remembered exactly where it was and everything.
1: Wow. It's
4: amazing to me that, um, and I wish I had known that when Mr. Hughes was living and when we would be sitting in those places, you know.
5: Oh,
4: wow. I could, well, you met Mr. Hughes. Wow, that's, that's got to be something. Oh, uh, I've known a great number of the of great poets. Well, it looks like it's 10.05 to me. Hmm. Oh, my wife says know. hello. My wife, my wife, she says hello. Give her my very best. He gives you, he gives you his very best. I'll tell her to. Um, he, was, he was, he was, he was one of my. He was, one of, he was one of my professors. Um, from not indirect, kind of indirectly professors, but one of my admired professors. I used to, used to love to. Talk to from times time. I used to. I remember I used to pass you on campus and get to talk to you just for a minute or two. That was it, you know. <laughs> that was well, that's, I it. appreciate that. You know, just. Well, I <laughs> have enjoyed being with you, Minister Jenkins, and I shall go back to what I do best, and that is my writing. And, of course, and I really appreciate you coming on tonight. It's 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 been it's it's been a treat. I'll tell you this. A lot it's of a memories, me too. it. A lot of memories and and back, to, you know, when, when I was a student. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Thirty years ago, yes, I'm telling my age, boy. Boy, it, it, it tells, it tells on your age, I tell you. <laughs> but I, I, I really appreciate it, and I wish you well on the recording, the writing, and and everything. Same with you. You keep on
0: writing that portrait. Keep on doing what you're
4: doing. Oh yes, Thank sir. you so much. Thank you, Doc. Okay. Oh. Doc. All right. Well, that's that's Doctor Johannes, one of my professors, and I appreciate him coming on. We want to remind you that Morning Inspirations come on to on tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. He'll talk shooting jam radio. And morning inspiration prayer, Tuesdays and Thursday mornings at 6:30, Lighthouse Hour at 6 o'clock Tuesdays
5: and Tuesdays and Thursday. And of
3: course, we're back here on the weekend next week. And as soon as I get a confirmation on, get the email going with with all um, my guests.
4: Going to talk about transgender revolution, about transgender revolution. That's coming up next week. Um, Raymond B. Davis III was a candidate for House of Representatives of West Virginia. We're my guest on the thirtieth, Daniel Spencer from What's Happening. Who's now who's the actress and now who's a veterinarian doctor. She's gonna be my guest on the thirteenth and Ministers Ministers Round on the twentieth of November. The views and opinions of Nation Talk are not necessarily the views of TalkShoe, Radio and its
1: sponsors.
4: This has been Nation Talk, Public Affairs Program, airs Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to join us again next Sunday for another Nation Talk. And be sure to join me here tomorrow morning, morning inspiration for Jam Radio 2.1. I'm Mr. Jenkins on behalf of Vanessa and I. Everybody here Thank you Good night God bless I want to make a correction On What inspirations uh, Will be on Tomorrow morning at 8 8 a.m.
3: For uh, 32 days of summer and Thirty-two days of summer continues.
1: It has been, it has been my pleasure to play, to, to
3: replay this in memory of a, one of my admired writers, my my,
4: who passed away a week ago. And as you can tell, we had a lot of fun talking. It was a fun interview, and I enjoyed it. And to the Johannes family, my, our prayers go out to them, and the lost out there is their dad. God bless you, and good night. Nation
3: Talk is a presentation of Generator Productions, and